Yep, you hear that thumping bass and you know that uh, you're walking down the hallway toward the steam room. Episode number 27 of uh, media's second favorite podcast ever. No, I have no facts and figures to back that up. Just a lot of confidence in my uh, my co-host on this on this ride, Charles Barkley. This is Ernie Johnson. This is presented by Tractor Supply Company, by the way. Twenty-seven episodes in, Chuckster. Yeah, man. I, I you know, Ernie, I, I love doing the podcast, and I want to brighten people week. But I'm gonna start off sad today. I just want to give a uh, a shout out to one of my favorite people in the world. Coach me in Phoenix, Paul Westfall. Terrific coach. Last time I saw him, I was standing on the Hall of Fame stage with him. And he's one of the best people, best people I've ever met in my life. And uh, he released a statement in the last couple of days saying he's got brain cancer. And uh, I just want him to know, uh, I sent him a text and told him, uh, I'm blessed to have him in my life. I've been in the NBA since 1984, and he's one of the best people I ever met. Him and his wife, Cindy, they're just wonderful people. And I just wanted him to know that he's been a blessing in my life. I thank him for getting me traded to Phoenix and coaching me and just being a friend. So, Coach Westfall, I love you, man. I'm thinking about you and praying for you. And Hey, man, I know how religious you are, so I hope your faith is helping you a lot. But I just want you to know, and I want the public to know what a great man you are, and I love you. What made him a great coach? What made what made the bond so tight between y'all? Uh, you know, he just, he talked to you and says, hey, what do you think about this situation? Like a lot of coaches, they're like, it's going to be my way or the highway. And th- that way can work too. But I think to be a, a really good coach and how your players respect you, you should say, hey, what do you think in this situation? How do you want to do this? Because you actually out there, you know what your strengths are, and you should, as a player, you should know what your weaknesses are. And, and and a lot of players, let's be honest, they don't know what their weaknesses are. And a coach's job is his job is to put you in a position to be successful. And that was the first year I made it to the finals, and I was so ha- he was so happy for me because they had that, that was my first year in Phoenix, and he was genuinely happy for me. Um, and so I just, I just could never, I, I just appreciate him as a man too, but I just wanted him to know in the world to know that I love the guy and I appreciate him. Yeah. Prayers up for Paul Westfall. Yeah. No doubt. yeah. Uh, and the second thing is I wish, you know, with all this college football stuff going on, I just feel sadness and who I feel sadness for is, and obviously for the players, but I, not as much as I do for the people who live in these small towns. You know, they haven't canceled the SEC as yet we're taping or the ACC. But, man, a lot of these football teams are the heartbeat of their towns and their communities. You know, I feel for Nebraska. You know, I, I, I'm a big Scott Frost fan, and I know what that school means to that state and that city. You know, I think about Auburn. Yeah. You know, Auburn uh, Auburn is so is such an amazing place, but it's a really small town. And we have 100,000 fans and probably have another 10 to 15,000 who come down there Wednesday 
through Sunday for eight weeks. And that money is never, if they cancel football season, a lot of people are going to lose their livelihood. And I just feel sadness. And like I said, I already canceled some big conferences. And I just want those people who live in those cities, uh, I, I know you're going to miss football, but the big picture is all those people who, who economic, that's the economic engine. Uh, so, man, I just want those people, man, to know that, hey, uh, I'm going to miss football, but I'm more concerned about the people who live and die economically in those cities. Excellent point. Um, hey, let me ask you something. Uh, Kamala Harris, Joe Biden's selection as uh, his running mate. What is your uh, what's your initial reaction to that? I, I'm really excited for her. I got a chance to meet her husband uh, at the debate that I went to. I think she's an amazing, strong woman. Uh, I think it's time, not just because she's black. I think it's time that we have a vice president who's a woman. I think it's an amazing thing. And uh, listen, we need grown folks to stand up right now. This ain't a time for stupidity. This ain't a time for anger. We need both of these parties to get off their butt and work together for people. This is grown-up time, Ernie. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Like I say, I talked about it a few seconds ago. All these people are never going to get their jobs back. We need grown-ups to stand up. I'm so disgusted by both of these political parties not being adults. We've never had anything like this happen in our lifetime. It's time for grown folk. You know, Cedric Entertainer say, I'm a grown-ass man. It's time for some grown-up folks to get together and say, yo, we got to save America right now. I got you. That's a, that's a wide-ranging, uh, first of all, from, from Charles Barkley today again. All good thoughts and good vibes heading out to Paul Westfall. Uh, yes. Hall of Famer in 2019. Um, when we come back, we're going to try to pull some answers out of a guy who's really not used to speaking his mind very much. Stephen A. Smith. Oh, boy, this gonna be, it's going to be a long, boring conversation. Right? We're going to have a hard time getting the out of this. <laughs> Stephen A. is next. We welcome you back to the steam room. Special, special guest. Yes, yeah, special, special guest. And as we uh, as we tell all of the guests here on the steam room, please keep your towel on. Stephen A. Smith joins us. Stephen A., how are you, kid? What's going on, guys? How y'all doing? Hey, man, we're great. I wish I could answer that question truthfully. I mean, it's just... It's just crazy the world we're living in now, man. We're all adjusting on the fly, you know, adjusting to the bubble or the yeah. campus, however you want to say it. The cancellation of college football for a lot of conferences. It's yeah. just a crazy world. Wow. How are you adjusting to all the craziness? That'd be my first question. Well, well, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy because it's a multitude of feelings that I have. Number one, it's, it's very hard. It was very hard doing TV, obviously, when no sports were taking place. Uh, but then NFL saved us because you had the draft. You had Tom Brady going to Tampa, and the NFL was conducting business as usual. So there was something to talk about there. Then you talked about the specter of a season, whether he was going to have a season, how you were going to go about having a season, et cetera, et cetera. 
And then unfortunately, the killing of George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd took place. And when that transpired, you saw these social justice issues really elevating in all of our eyes. And you saw the positions that people were taking and how outspoken they were. That was something to talk about. And then ultimately, some of the games returned, Major League Baseball, uh, the NBA, of course. So in that regard, it became a bit easier to discuss sports because there was enough to go out there. But for me personally, I was I still found a reason to be excited on a couple of levels. Number one, um, everybody can't be as nice and angelic as Ernie Johnson. Okay, some of us, some of us don't have that skill. So as a result, social distancing was never a problem for me. I love the fact that social distancing is required because I don't like people up in my face anyway. Um, anytime I had to shake a whole bunch of hands, you always ran into at least one person that had the nasty, sweaty hands. And the second you shook their hand, you knew you were going to be sick in the past because <laughs> oh, you just knew it. It was automatic that you would come down with something within 48 hours because they, now you don't have to engage in that. So that's a plus. And last but not least, I got to tell y'all, man, I think that, and Chuck, you've spoken about this on many occasions. Even though we appreciate the fans, I think the players themselves will never in life appreciate the fans more once they return. Yes. Because if you think about it, the load management, guys not playing in games, minimizing minutes, et cetera, et cetera, not prioritizing stuff during the regular season. We came to a point where it was too much of that going on. I don't think you're going to see a lot of that in the future, at least people not being so flagrant with it, because having to play without fans in attendance, when they return, we are going to appreciate them so much more than we ever have. And that's just not for the players. That's for all of us in media as well. Hey, you think we're going to see college football? No, I don't. Um, it's possible that we'll see it with the ACC and the SEC. Um, but I think that it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's really a dire circumstance with them. The PAC 12 and the big 10 have already said they're not going to have football for the year 2020. They're talking about something in the spring, which I think is a disastrous idea because you, you know, you got star athletes. They're not going to be a part of that equation because they want to prepare for the NFL draft and then an upcoming NFL season. So you're going to be devoid of those stars. I also think it's a bad look for college football to have some who are playing and most who are not. You can't have conferences canceling the sport. But then because you've got the SEC and the ACC making gobs and gobs of money, they'll say we go ahead and play. Um, so it's going to be real interesting to see what transpires uh, in that regard. And I think particularly if the SEC plays, it's going to have a profound effect. On first take this morning, Ernie, I even pointed out how SEC football, I'm not picking sides or anything because I'm not getting political here but it might end up influencing the presidential election because that's how deep this goes. Because if you don't have football being played in SEC country, and it's obviously because of the pandemic, people are going to look to point the finger in certain directions. And if they decide to point the finger in the direction of one politician over the other or one party over the other, you never know how that, what kind of profound impact that could have because of the detrimental effect it would have on local economies. So this is not just about football. This is about so much more. And I think it's in a world of trouble right now. And I think it's because unlike the NBA, unlike the NHL or the NFL and other sports, they are devoid of leadership. The big five conferences get to operate independently of the rest of college football 
There's not one overseer with the power to make decisions. And as a result, they're very fragmented all over the place. And we're talking about the lives of kids that are at stake here. And there's nobody leading the way. Hey, you know, I got to ask you this question. You touched on it earlier. Do you think the NFL know that there's a pandemic going on? Yeah, and they don't care. <laughs> not even a little bit. Hey, hey, I got to tell you something, man. You said it when you first started talking. And me, we, me and Ernie and TK were joking about it before you came on. Like, they did the drought. Yep. They did the free agency. Yep. They're like, hey, we're starting training camp on this day. It's act, they act like they don't care. Well, they don't. They don't. And, and, and here's the reason why. It's big money at stake, obvious. That's the obvious reason. Not just for the NFL, but for the television networks as well. Uh, if you're Fox, if you're ESPN, if you're NBC, uh, you want you want that kind of programming. I know for ESPN, if you don't have college football, you're talking about potentially 500 plus hours of programming that disappears in a flash. How are you going to make up for that? So those are the kind of decisions that have to be made when you're thinking about the NFL. The NFL knows that, and these owners want their money. I laughed about this the other day because I remember when the whole Colin Kaepernick situation went down and you had owners in a panic because, oh, my goodness, we're projecting we'll lose 20 percent of our gate revenue if we sign Colin Kaepernick. They had just received two hundred and twenty six million dollars apiece for just the television revenue alone. (laughs) And they were worried about the gate revenue that Colin Kaepernick might have on one team. So that shows you how much. They pity pinch. There's no way that they're going to sit up there and let their season be compromised. They canceled preseason. They canceled the Hall of Fame game. Yeah, we'll take that hit. But trust you me, when it comes to the regular season, in terms of games actually being played during the regular season, there is no way on earth they're not going to have a season. (laughs) I predict they will start on time and they will finish all the way to the Super Bowl unless the government and medical professionals step in and shut it down. The owners making the decision to shut down their league themselves, no way, will not happen. Hey, Stephen, I want to ask you just about, on more of a personal side, and and you mentioned already, you know, having played ball and you were at uh, Winston-Salem State, and that's a a HBCU. Yes. Uh, I'm trying to see where that fits in with your desire to see more done for HBCUs and also what the conversations have been like with you and your daughters about where we are in the country. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up. I mean, you know, we had an event last year for ESPN and, you know, um, ESPN really, really supported me on this and I put together a show and what have you and ultimately generated uh, four, four plus billion dollars in scholarships for students for HBCUs and doled out over 400 scholarships, uh, you know, obviously costing more than four million dollars. And it's something that's near and dear to my heart because of my late coach, Clarence Big House Gaines. Uh, he was a legendary coach that played a role in integrating the sport of college basketball. And I wasn't blessed enough to be as gifted as, as Charles, believe it or not. I grew up, idol- one of the people I grew up idolizing was Kenny Smith. That's Kenny Smith and I go back a long way. <laughs> don't worry. Hey, don't worry. We can, we can edit that part. Don't worry about <laughs> it. <laughs> this, this was the funny part. He was a great player coming out of Archbishop Malloy. Uh, but the thing about it, his brother, Vincent, was yeah. training us at Lost Battalion Hall in Queens, New York. And I was one of the people that Vincent was training. 
uh, back in the day. So that's how far back I go with Kenny and Vincent and their family. And, you know, for me, when I think about an HBCU, I think about what it gave me. When you're a young black dude growing up in any street in America, you don't assume, Ernie, that you're going to have the support that you ultimately get sometimes. You don't assume that you're running across to Ernie Johnson's and far more instances than not, you're assuming that you're going to scratch and claw your way because there's going to be obstacles at every step trying to stop you and stymie you from moving forward. And so when you go to school, it's about needing a cheerleader. It's about needing a mentor. It's about needing, some, needing people that are there that you look at, that you can relate to, that identifies with your plight, and they educate you and encourage you about the minefields that lie in your way and how you have to do what you're supposed to do to avoid them. And in the case of my coach, he always reminded me, nobody owes you a damn thing. Nobody's going to feel sorry for you. People got their own problems. They don't have time to be worried about yours. You want a future for yourself. You got to make it. You got to commit yourself to going out and getting it. And so in the process of doing it, I always remember that message. And when it comes to HBCUs, I always make it a priority to go back and to try to preach that same similar message to them because it truly is the truth. A lot more often than not, it's not about racism. It's not about somebody who looks differently than you or come from a different cultural background literally trying to keep you down. It's about them being preoccupied with their own challenges, not really worried about you. They're worried about themselves and what they need. And that's why you've got to focus on what you need and really, really learn how to go about acquiring you know, I look at your career like I look at my career. You ever sit around and pinch yourself and say, damn, I did good. You know what? I never did that until 2017. True story here, fellas. Uh, I've been so much on my grind for so many years. It was always like next challenge, next challenge. When I signed a contract in 2015 that was for a pretty decent salary, I remember that I literally signed a deal. I'm sorry, not 2015, 2005 when I signed, when I was doing my show, quite frankly. And it was the first million dollars that I had made. And I literally signed a contract at ABC Studios at 3.30. And I drove through traffic from Midtown to Queens, New York. My mother was a retired nurse, but she was working in a police athletic league doing a side job just to get money to go on vacation. She had a pension coming but she was working side jobs just to have money to go on vacations. And the signed contract, and the first thing I did was drive to Queens. I went into the PAL and I grabbed her and I said to her, you're not working anymore. And she mm -hmm. never worked again until the day that she died. And to this day, it was my proudest moment. But I bring that up because 12 years later, 2017, I closed on this house here in North Jersey that I bought. And it's a big, beautiful house, and it's a beautiful backyard. It ain't Hollis, Queens. It's much bigger than Hollis, Queens. And I bought this house because my mother, who was battling cancer at the time, I had planned on moving her in. And I was going to have a nurse for her 24-7. I had a big room upstairs for her, the whole bit. And I walked into the backyard, and it was the first time I was in the backyard that I had a pool. And I had a pool and a yard and stuff like that. And I was like, I have arrived. That was the first time <laughs> I ever did that which was, it was, it was March 1st, 2017. That was the first time, Chuck, I ever pinched myself and said, yeah. I have never did it before that. When you're playing, like, I go, you go from college, we always got something to do, and then you get to the NBA, and it's a grind. 
Yeah. And then, like, you don't have time to sit around and pat yourself on the back. And then when I got older, I was like, man, you know, you talk about Hollis, Queens. I'm like, I'm from Leeds, Alabama, <laughs> growing up in the projects. And I grew up to be Charles Barker. This is pretty special. And number one, I'm proud of everything you've done. I love the work you're doing with the HBCUs. Thank you. Uh, but it, it's it's just I'm I'm happy for you though. I mean, but you know, you know, we're talking about all this social stuff. It's exhausting being black. <laughs> <laughs> it is. You're right. <laughs> right. You're not, you're not. You know, we talked about. I, I said so when we were talking about on the show. We've had Van Jones, Killer Mike. Yeah. We've had some great guests talking about social commentary. And, you know, being here in Atlanta, you know, like one week it was Ahmaud Aubrey, mm -hmm. And like, so then me and you, you have to go on TV and talk about it. Yeah. Then like the next week it was the, 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 the young lady in New York screaming at the brother because he asked her to put a leash on. Amy, Amy Cooper, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then the next week, George Floyd happened. Yeah. And I told Ernie, uh, you know, I always do stuff on the show. I said, like, yo, man, it's exhausting being black. And you, it's got to be more exhausting for you because you have to go on TV every day. Like, I have to talk about it when it happens, like, a week or something like that. But how exhausting is it for you every single day being black on TV? Well, listen, it can get exhausting. But in all honesty, in the interest of full disclosure, you know this, Chuck, it's exhausting because of us. It's not exhausting because of white people. It's exhausting because of black people. And one yeah. of the things I've said, and, and I'll divulge this to all of you guys, I said, I remember years ago, I had to talk to some honchos at ESPN. And I said, I need you to understand something. As a white person, you go to work every day with a job to do. Black people go to work with the responsibility. When Trayvon Martin got shot by George Zimmerman, that was not a sports story. It didn't stop me from getting stopped in the streets everywhere I went by black people. Stephen A, you got to say this. Stephen A, you got to say that. You got to speak on this. They're not telling you just to speak. They're telling you what to say. And God forbid if you say something different than what your community believes you should say, then all hell is going to break loose with Charles, you know better than most. And yeah. on, on, so many, on so many occasions, I cannot tell y'all how many times I've gotten into arguments with people over Charles Barkley because Charles Barkley said something. And I was like, they like, did you agree with that? No, still my boy, still my brother. Oh, by the way, who the hell said we all have to agree? The point is to have a discussion. And guess what? He might have a point. You know, just because I agree with him on this point doesn't mean I disagree with him on that point. What's the problem? And that's where it becomes exhausting. It's not that you have to discuss these things. It's not the pressure of even somebody saying, Stephen A, you gotta say something. They're trying to tell me what to say. And I've never gone for that. And I never will. Couple things. Number one, when did you change your name to, like, because no, mo most black people don't use initials in their names. You know that, right? <laughs> yes. When did you change it? <laughs> when did you start Stephen A. Smith? And what does the A stand for? The A is Anthony. That's my middle name, to answer yes. the second person. And the, and the reason why I was Stephen A. Charles is because when I was writing for the school newspaper, the Winston-Salem Journal, my first byline was Stephen A. Smith. It was a dedication to my mom because I had gotten left back in the fourth grade because I had a first grade reading level. I was suffering from dyslexia, but didn't know it, obviously, back then. And as a result, I struggled in the early portions of my life 
in school. And so my mother never gave up on me, always believed in me, got me tutors. My sister Linda as well taught me how to read along with a, a childhood uh, family friend named Tiver. And so the combination of him and my sister Linda, but especially my mom, it was really a dedication to her because of her belief in me. I always had hated the fact that my name was spelled Stephen because she said Stephen whenever she got mad at me. She called me Stephen. That's when I knew I was in trouble. And I hated the fact that my name was spelled with a PH instead of a B. So when I finally had the byline, it was one thing to go from being left back to being successful, but to be successful at reading and writing and being a journalist, it was a dedication to her. And that's why I wrote that byline, Stephen A. And that's why I kept it did your mom ever hit you with a Stephen Anthony? No. Did, did you know it was you, you were in big trouble? It was two things that got me in trouble, Ernie. Stephen, and then she'd go like this, ah, I'm going to tell your father. And that was that. Because with Pops, Pops was the kind of person, he had his Budweiser, his pork chops, or, or, or his lamb chops. And he had a, and the Budweiser, and he watched two things, Ernie. Any baseball game he could find in Westerns. That's it. And my father would lay in his chair in the dining room, and his rule was very simple. He did not want to be bothered by anybody. If you didn't come to sit by him to watch him, <laughs> leave him by him, all right? You had better leave him alone. And there was only one person that could get away with bothering him, and that was my mother. So if my mother came to him to complain about you, it was over. It was not a democracy. He let you know. You should have handled it with her. The fact that he, it came to me, I'm going to whip your ass. <laughs> You know, I, I've got to point something out here because you, look, I already see how many times you mentioned your mother, uh, your late mother in the course of this conversation. And this, as we're talking today, this is nine years to the day that I lost my dad. And yeah. I know, you know, Chuckster, when you lost your mom and, and there's something, um, it's just a strange day. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. you can't help but think back. And I, um, cause I talk to him every day, you know, yeah. and so for you, I know, man, it was tough. It's only a couple of years ago, I think. Um, yes. So how, what's your mom mean to you? What'd she do for you? And, and what, when you think of her now, what do you think? She was everything to me. Um, she's the greatest human being I've ever known. Uh, she took care of me. She nurtured me. She pushed me. She motivated me. Um, she demanded from me. Um, and she, believe it or not, she didn't like me too much on television. She's like, why did she, she's, my mother's from the Virgin Islands. Both of my parents from the Virgin Islands, St. Thomas. And my father was from Antigua. And my mother was born and raised in St. Thomas. And she'd be like, why did you have to speak that way? I did not raise you this way. Why did you have to talk that way? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, mom, I'm just talking. And I said, mommy, watch me talk sports when I'm in the house. I said, when I'm watching the games and I'm watching TV, I'm going off like that. You know, and so, you know, but she was, um, she was just everything. She believed in me when nobody else did. Uh, she pushed me the minute she saw me slacking off. She constantly reminded me that it wasn't just about me. It was about making a better contribution to society. She was a registered nurse at Queens General Hospital in New York for 25 years. She was assistant head nurse there for her last 15 years. And it just meant everything to her that, that, you know, I conducted myself the way that I conducted myself and to do the things that will contribute to the betterment of my family and the betterment of, our, of my society. And every single thing in my life that I have accomplished is because of her. It would not have been without her. I wasn't as close to my father. We had our differences and I never really speak much about it because my mother never wanted me to. 
Uh, and that's the only reason that just to honor her, I always limit what I say about him, but I did love him. Uh, but we weren't as close, not nearly as close uh, as she and I were. And she's everything. And there, you know, I cried every day for about the first two years. Uh, it's year three now. I haven't cried as much, but I think about her every day. And I just try to march on forward and to do things that I know would make her proud. Um, I remember when she passed away, one of the first calls I got uh, was from, I got a call at 6 a.m. And it was from Shaq. Um, I got a call at 6.45 a.m. It was from Kobe, God rest his soul. And then the other call I got was at 7 a.m. And it was from the NBA moms, Shaq, Shaq's mom, Ray Allen, Derek Fisher's mom, all of them. And they just let me know that they were here for me and that you would always have some semblance of a mom in your life and them. And I can't, and, and especially Kevin Durant's mom, who was absolutely wonderful. I'll never forget it as long as I live. And those are the kind of memories that you hold on to. And it just makes, it uplifts you. It pushes you forward. Chuckster, you got the last one if you got something. Well, give me your NBA champion right now, brother. Oh, man. Chuck, I'm not going to give that to you because I got to give that the first time. I can't give it to the podcast. I can't give it to the as much as I love y'all. Y'all know that I can't. But I will tell you this. I was sold on the Lakers. I'm not sold anymore. I think the absence of Avery Bradley is devastating. Um, I think that Rondo coming back, even though he's been out, I'm watching them. They're having a difficult time making shots. The Clippers are the better team, number one. Milwaukee can beat them. And then I saw Toronto beat them. And I'm looking at Nick Nurse, who's my coach of the year, by the way. Mine too. I'm looking at the defensive schemes he throws out there. One minute is a zone. One minute is a double team. He's the boxing one on Steph Curry in the finals last year. And then I'm looking at Ibaka and Gasol patrol of paint. I'm looking at Lowry draw offensive fouls. I'm looking at Van Vliet steal passes and deflect passes. I'm looking at Norman Powell and Ananobi. And, of course, Pascal Siakam is the star of the team. I can't sleep on Toronto. I haven't made a decision yet, but I will tell you, I'm not as sold on the Lakers as I once was. And if I had to make a decision right now, I would tell you I have switched from the Los Angeles Lakers winning the championship to possibly the Clippers or Milwaukee. I'm not sold yet, but that's where I'm leaning. Well, I just want you to say, Max, I appreciate you picking four teams. Well, Max, I appreciate you picking eight teams. <laughs> hey, that was a Max Kellerman answer. You can't pick four teams, brother. <laughs> I, ain't, I ain't picking four teams. I'm, I'm telling you right now, if I had to, I would tell you the Clippers, but I reserve the right to change my mind. Well, thank you, Max. Hey, hey Max, thank you for joining the team room. <laughs> hey, man. It is always, it is always good talking to you, brother. It really is. And uh, hopefully we'll bump into each other uh, face-to-face here one of these days. Been too long. Well, you know, you guys are class beside. I love you guys daily. One of the favorite things that I've had to do throughout the years is while ESPN had one conference, they used to always send me out to the other conference. And what I loved about it most is that that was the time of the year we all got to hang together. I consider you friends and brothers. I love y'all dearly. Y'all do a phenomenal, phenomenal job covering the NBA and all of us associated with the NBA are just lucky to have y'all in our lives and our living room so many nights during the NBA season. You guys are fantastic. And you know the friendship and the brotherhood is always here for y'all. Thank you, brother. Keep doing your thing. I'm proud of you. 
Appreciate you, man. Thanks a lot, y'all. Appreciate you. inside the steam room legendary oh. legendary producer tim kiley TK. how are you tk can you put like a collared shirt on to do the show at least i have some wardrobe changes that i have to deal with chuck you know you know how that is when you're on your big shot commercials and everything that uh that take 12 hours to shoot when you could do them in an hour right spielberg hey let me tell you something that might be the greatest scam going in the world Making tele, making commercials. You, they keep you there for twelve hours, and you only work like four hours, and they take a break every hour and a half for union. I mean, it's crazy, man. That's the greatest scam going commercial making. Hey, congrats to you guys both for taking home some additional hardware at the Emmys last night. Ernie's Emmy was for outstanding sports personality studio host. Chuck's Emmy was for outstanding sports personality studio analyst. EJ, I know there were some technical difficulties with your acceptance speech, but as usual, it was heartfelt and thoughtful. And Chuck, you couldn't even be bothered to show up. What better things did you have to do? You know where I was? I was watching the best hockey game that I've seen in a long time. So I'm with my friends. So one of my friends is John Cooper. He's the head coach of the Tampa Bay Lightning. So I go to the gym. And I'm watching, the game started at 3 o'clock, 3 o'clock. So I go to the gym to watch the last period, end up riding the bike for two hours, TK, five overtimes. There was like 25 shots that could have won the game. And the goalie for Columbus was ridiculous. And let me tell you something. Popeye Jones' son is one of the best hockey players in the world. He played 65 minutes. It was crazy. What time did the game end, Chuck? Like 9.30. Like I was telling guys, I started watching this game at 3 o'clock. At 9 o'clock, I'm still watching this game. It was crazy. And still riding the bike. No, I got off the bike and went to the bar. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was sitting in the bar with my friends. Oh, okay. And I got, I got a you. really nice text from you, Ernie. Congratulate me. I was so happy you won and the show won. And I want to just say this, man. I don't want to win Emmys for myself. I just want to win it for the guys in the studio, especially my boy Underdog. I love you, Underdog. Alec, Jeremy. TK. TK, Fiorello, Anthony, Audio Rob, Kelsey. Everybody. Everybody. When the show wins, everybody wears it. It's awesome. That's it. Yes. Like, when you win an individual award, it's not for me, man. I really, I just want to say thank you for everybody at TNT. I got a, a text from Jeff Zucker, even though he knew my name. I don't even know how he got my number. <laughs> and a special shout out to Tara August, who I heard she did a great job with my acceptance speech. She did. But no, man, I, I just want to thank all you guys. I told you, I got we got the best leader. You know, Ernie is the guy who makes it all work. And listen, I would be remiss if I didn't say Shaq and Kenny. <laughs> I love those guys, too. Well, sincere congrats for me. But also, there's a loyal steamer who came from a long way to be here, and he wants to congratulate you guys face-to-face. Stab, are you there, mate? Hey, fellas. Stab. Hey, Stab. <laughs> what up, brother? Hey, man, I'm great. How are you guys going? This is awesome. It's your loyal steamer and Australian correspondent. I want to congratulate you guys on your three Emmys you won. Man, incredible and well-deserved. 
Um, you know, I'm sorry I didn't wear a collared shirt uh, for the event. It's four in the morning here. Oh, my God, 4 a.m.? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's a great shame that obviously, you know, with the pandemic going on, they, um, they couldn't have the award ceremony so you could be in the same room together. Chuck, so you might have turned up then for the free booze and canapes. Uh, but uh, seriously, <laughs> well done, guys! Congrats, amazing! Hey, man, this is so awesome. So, what do you? Hey, so, what do you do for a living? I sell beer for a living. I run a small sales team uh, at a company called Pork Brewing, and uh, yeah, we we sell beer in honor of our late great Prime Minister Bob Pork, uh, who actually broke a world record for uh, sculling beer from a yard glass when he was at university. Someone challenged him at Oxford University. Chugged the beer, I guess you guys would call it. A yard in 11 seconds set a world record that stood for decades. Well, if you had me, I'd sell beer for a living. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Hey, how did you stumble upon our podcast the first time? Well, look, I'm, I'm an NBA tragic since you know, the 1990s, you know, a uh, fan of Charles and Michael and watching Patrick Ewing, massive Spurs fan since the David Robinson and Sean Elliott days. You know, now I follow all the Aussies in the league and all the Greek players in the league because my family's from Cyprus, um, you know, and I just absorb as much content as possible, you know, and, um, you know, Saturday morning appointment viewing, I make my coffee, I watch inside the NBA on replay. And I, I, I figure I must have heard about it on there that you guys were doing a podcast. But as soon as I heard the steam room was, was going, I was, I was right up on it. So, uh, you know, the NBA is my healthy addiction, if you would. We appreciate you coming up with the loyal steamers uh, description of people who listen, man. We took that thing and ran with it from the moment you said it. <laughs> yeah, um, it was uh, it was meant as just a little uh, a little gag. Uh, but, uh, you know, but I'm glad you guys liked it. You know, funny story about that. Um, that message I left you guys about the bushfires. I don't know if your producers like sped up the message or perhaps I was being overly sincere, but my, my voice sort of pitched up a little bit. I was speaking a little bit higher or something. I played it to my wife. She's like, you sound like a 14-year-old boy. And then, she, and, then, and then you guys kept referring to me as this young man calling in. So thanks for making me feel young, but I'm no spring chicken fella. <laughs> Yeah, we love, man. We got a lot of we got a lot of teenagers in Australia listening to us. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Chuckster, I got to ask you one question because you know you, it's not like every day I get to do this. Um, one NBA question while I got you: Who who are you more optimistic about uh, the future of your Phoenix Suns or the future of your Philadelphia 76 Wow, that's a really good question. Um, I'm gonna have to go with the Suns because I think Devin Booker is terrific. And Aegis played well in the bubble. Now, as far as my 76ers, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, they're injury prone. And the best ability is availability. Neither one of them have shown that they can stay healthy. So I have to go with Booker and Aiden going forward, to be honest with you. Yeah, cool. I hope there's no recency bias there. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, um... no, definitely not. <laughs> Oh, I feel a bit bad for Coach Brown. He's an honorary Aussie and married to an Aussie, but I, I think he's, you know, maybe a dead man walking there in, in Philly unless they somehow win the championship. That's probably not going to happen. Savage, TK, I got a beer question. Ernie and I were in Brisbane in 2001. Okay. And our crew was all Aussie, so we took them out for beers to try to bond a little bit. And I didn't know anything about Australian beer except Foster's. So when I ordered a round of Foster's, 
the uh, production guy, remember Ernie Mahdi, turned to me and said, thanks for the piss, mate. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I won't argue with that. Stav, it's great talking to you, man. Thank you for getting up so early. And thanks for, for being a loyal steamer. And it's always, it's been great to... Uh, to hear you on the on the answering machine every now and then and, and hey man listen i just want to say one thing before i go guys yeah. um, real quick look I, i'm reticent to use the word uh hero because i know you're a bit um reluctant for people to use that word um you know my true hero was my father he was born in a tiny village in cyprus uh, you know was dirt poor paid his way through university his country was invaded uh he came as a refugee here to australia with my mother and built a better life for me to me that's you know, a hero, hero. So I won't use that word when it comes to you guys, but you know, my affection for what you guys do goes beyond admiration. I mean, Ernie, you are just the definition of a true professional. Um, you know, you're the best point guard on television. Uh, the way you anchor that show um, and talk, you know, with care and dignity uh, on some topics and humor where appropriate and just seamlessly move through segments you know, all while navigating this chaos and improvisation around you, man, you are like butter. Um, you know, you are just absolutely like butter. No, man. I, I appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah. And, and Chuckster, I looked up to you in your playing days and, you know, how honest you were with the media and how hard you played. And I don't have to remind you about all the great things you did as a player. Lord knows you remind us of that every week on Inside. <laughs> but um, when it comes to one thing, you know, you were talking about reflecting on things you did in your career, you know, now that you're, um, you know, older, man, what you did with the dream team, um, you gave basketball to the world, the, the NBA um, and its fan base and the players would not be international the way it is without you. You know, I know Chuck, you talked about your first interactions with white people growing up in Alabama were, you know, those positive interactions were on a basketball court. There was no barrier. It was, you know, it's a universal language. Um, and, you know, you gave that gift to the world. And, you know, if, if the mark of a person's life um, can be summed up with a question, like, did you give more than you took? Man, you gave so much, not just in that moment. I know with your time and your generosity, uh, even today. So congrats on a, a great career, great life, and uh, much more to come. So, yeah. Thank you, brother. Well said. Thank you for the kind words. I'm just so excited to have you on, but thanks for the kind words. My last thing is I got a deal for you. You send us some Australian beer. We'll send you a, a gift card to a tractor supply company. <laughs> <laughs> I won't be able to be rolling that tractor very far in my suburban great uh, <laughs> beer. And I, and, I, and I promise you, we'll open the case up on the podcast. You have my word on that. Nah, and you got it. Stab, been a pleasure. All right, I'm going to go get some sleep. <laughs> that was awesome for him to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. That was awesome. Back to the steam room. Um, three segments in the books. This is the fourth segment. It's the final segment. It's one of the most popular segments because it's old school. It's Chuck's answering machine. You've reached Charles Barkley. Leave a message, America. Hey, guys. Love the show. Ernie, you're my guy. But Butter Scott's brownies? Come on, man. I'm a fat guy like Chuck, and even I wouldn't eat butterscotch brownies. I'm I'm an ice cream guy, though. So if you could build your perfect ice cream sundae, what would be the flavor? What would be the toppings? Thanks. God bless. 
Wow. Well, I guess it, there's not going to be any butterscotch in it, that's for sure. But hey, I'm telling you, you've probably you're probably killing butterscotch brownies, even though you haven't tried them yet. They are good. Um, let's let's build ourselves some uh, some some sundays here, Chuckster. You, what kind of ice cream you going with for the foundation? Well, Ernie, I got to admit, I only eat vanilla ice cream. That's all. Hold on, that's all you eat. That's all I eat. I do not like other flavors of ice cream. I've tried strawberry. I've tried chocolate. I only like vanilla ice cream. How about chocolate chip? Just to, that's nope. vanilla with just a little. Yeah, I don't want it. No, no, I don't want that. Okay. So I'm not a big brownie guy, but I want vanilla ice cream, and I want a lemon tasty cake. That's a Sunday. No, I don't like Sundays. You're gonna put a lemon tasty cake on there? Yes. You. Oh, I see. I love tasty cakes, and, and I will admit they got butterscotch crimpets also that are amazing. I like to heat the pie or the crimpets and put it on top of vanilla ice cream. Okay, I like vanilla too. When I'm having a Sunday, it's got to be vanilla. Yes, and then it's and then it's got to be like hot fudge, maybe see, some I don't other. Like, see, I only I like oh. so I will do this. I like to put caramel sauce on it sometimes. Yeah. I, I, I'm not a big chocolate guy. That's why. Okay. Well, but well, caramel would be fine too. But I also I like the the crunched up Heath bar in there. I like a little whipped cream. No. Maybe a cherry on top of that, and some bananas. I like some bananas in there. I like all that stuff. Maybe some maybe some dry roasted peanuts on that bad boy. You know, I I, I never understand the cherry thing. I'm not gonna lie. That's just a it's just a garnish. It's just you know a cherry on top. I just don't, I'm not a big cherry guy. I'm not going to lie. It's just like a little ball of sugar to me. I, I, I don't feel that. I pictured you as more than just a vanilla ice cream guy. Wow. No, I, I, for some, I, I love vanilla ice cream. Like I say, I don't, I very rarely, rarely put stuff on vanilla ice cream. But mm-hmm. I, every now and then I get a, I heat up a lemon pie or <laughs> some butter, uh, butterscotch crumpets. Crumpets? A butterscotch crumpets. crumpet. Crimpets. Crimpets, isn't it? I think it's crimpets. I got no clue. Next call. Hey, Charles. This is Henna calling from Los Angeles, California. You and Ernie have been um, such great company during this time. I have been a steamer since the NBA All-Star Weekend, and it's been just fun to listen to you guys and have some serious moments and feel like we're all in it together, which has been great. But, Charles, one of the things I admire about you the most is you're unapologetic about your man crushes and all the pretty men in your life. So, if you could, let's hear your top five man crushes right now. <laughs> My top five man crushes right now. I know. I can tell you who one of them, who one of them is. Who do you think is going to be, Ernie? Well, this is episode 27. Who else wears number 27? Mike Trout. Oh, Mike Trout. I got a man crush on Mike Trout. It, <laughs> it, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> so uh, that's two Michaels right there. Uh, yeah. Tom Brady, Denzel Washington. And I got, I'm got. i caught in between on my last one because during this pandemic, I, I'm, I'm in love with billions. Yeah. So between Damian Lewis, Paul Giamatti, and my man Wags, 
They're in a tie for fifth. They're in a tie for fifth. You got a top four and those guys in a tie for fifth. Okay. I'm on season three of Billions right now. And let me tell you something. My man Wags. I love me some Wags. That's a good watch, man. That's a good watch. <laughs> Final call. Hey, guys. This is Maureen, a loyal steamer here since the show's inception. I just had one question. Why do you waste so much showtime on that executive producer guy? I mean, he has no game. Let Big Sexy Charles talk more. Okay, that's it for now. Yeah, that's, that voice sounded familiar. Hey, number one, hey, we got a new leader in the clubhouse. Best call of all time. <laughs> There's a new leader in the clubhouse. Did she, uh, did, did, were you aware that she was going to do that? Or was she, did, did yeah. somebody put you up to that, Mar? Um, yeah, he's right here. <laughs> Mar, oh, Lord. <laughs> Legendary. <laughs> Legendary producer. Mar, aren't you proud of TK for for the show winning another Emmy? You got yeah. another. You're going to have another statue to put back there. How great is that? And and congratulations to both of you. You guys are you deserve your Emmys big time. And thanks for all the kind words. Hey, it was a good night for the show. It really was. And, and Chuck and I talked about this before. TK, it's like I don't care what your role is on the show. Everybody feels like they won one last night, and they should. Because that's because that show is made up of like 50, 60 moving parts every night. So everybody can take that and, and say, hey, yeah, we all want it. Ernie, you remember and Chuck Paul Brown, the great coach of Jimmy Brown? Yeah. They asked him once, why do you give the ball to Jimmy Brown so much? He said, when you got a big gun, you shoot it. So that's what I try to do with you. <laughs> well, so, so, CK, I asked you this question earlier. How did you get into Columbia? I did okay in school, Chuck. I did okay in school. Then I conned them into thinking I could actually play football, and that helped me get in. Hey, well, you know what? I want to say this. You know how much I love working with you. I love you like a brother. You making Columbia proud, man, because we couldn't do the show without you. Uh-oh. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Episode 27. Yeah. You know what next week is going to be, Chuckster? 28. Right you are. <laughs> and we hope to see you then for episode 28 of the Steam Room. Hey, next this time next week, the playoffs have started. Yes, this is true. This is true. For Tim Kiley, the legendary Tim Kiley, and for our Australian friend, Stav, and for Stephen A. Smith, Man, this is a good show. Stav was the highlight of the show. I mean, I love Stephen A., but Stav surprising us was a highlight for me. Uh, for our producer, Michael Kaplan, and for everybody at Tractor Supply Company, thanks for listening to The Steam Room. Uh, it's been our pleasure, and we'll see you again next time.